Good morning. So how many people here are familiar with this whole epic fail meme? You've probably heard those words a few times. Hopefully not personally. <laughs> I got a few examples for you. The internet kind of loves this epic fail meme. Uh, here's one where we have someone not quite knowing how binoculars work. And it says underneath it, uh, it's even worse when you're a head of state. Yeah, it's probably not the best for a president. Um, there's one here where you have uh, uh, a Microsoft com conference. Uh-oh, someone's using an apple. Another one uh, of, of drowning sign. I'll be sure to laugh at someone when they're drowning. That's supposed to be a person's head with the arms, right? Like, laugh out loud. Not the best sign. Here's a good, good use of a camera. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be a criminal there. You know, maybe, maybe all right. And then finally we have, uh, thank you for driving carefully through the village. You almost made it, right? We've had an epic fail uh, that kind of got, got hit the, the news uh, recently, which is Steve Harvey. Poor guy. I don't know about you if you felt that. You remember when he made the announcement and he, he, he messed it up? He, he announced the wrong person first. The, the, the sign was a bit confusing. When you were actually read the thing, he had to read it. Well, I'd give him ah, a normal human mistake. So he, he apologized for that epic fail of saying uh, Miss Columbia was uh, the, the person who had won when it was really Mrs. Philippians. <laughs> oh, his apology was an epic fail too. Philippians, and they spelled Columbia wrong too. There's supposed to be O and not a U there. Oh, I, I, I thought about that woman, Miss Columbia, when she was standing there, right? And she has the crown put on her head. She's there in all her Miss Universe glory. And then, yoink. What would have it felt like? You were Miss Universe, but now you're in also ran. No one remembers the runners-up. In the Bible, there are examples of epic fails, and we're going to walk through this um, in the next four weeks. We're going to talk, and we'll slowly get into it. So we're going to talk today kind of a, a lesser kind of epic fail, and then we'll get into a more epic fail, and then finally we'll get to someone who just completely flat-out failed, Judas. But today I want to talk about failing in, in the runner-up kind of sense, this idea of you almost you're almost there, which I think a lot of us end up feeling a lot in our life. We're, we're almost at the winning, but oh, I'm, I'm here. And a lot of times we end up putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to succeed, to win. So I want to talk about a man named Joseph Barsabbas Justice. This is a man who was almost an apostle, but he ends up being and also ran, runner-up. Begins in Acts 1, we'll start in verse 12, kind of set the scene. And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. So Jesus has died, resurrected, and now he's just ascended, and they're returning to the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, perhaps the upper room where the Lord's Supper first began. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. We're missing one name. 
There's 11. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we have this setting. They are in an upper room. They are praying. They're seeking God. In many people's eyes, they're losers. They're following a big L loser. They might not know he's, he's been resurrected. They haven't heard the good news yet. But everyone thinks of these followers of Jesus as suspect. And so they're upstairs and they're praying. And there's only 11 apostles. If they're going to be a true remnant of Israel as they claim to be, they're going to have to step up and make sure that they take care of this discrepancy. Because even one of them has epically failed. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. That's a bit of gory details, Bible. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, and so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. So this is the epic fail of Judas, which we'll talk about in two weeks. And now they have to deal with this. So Peter stands up and says, this, this had to happen. There had to be this epic fail of Judas. For it was written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. So now we have Peter himself who had his own fail. Peter the leader has stepped up and now he's leading this little ragtag group of 120 with the rest of the, the 10 with him, and he's saying, There's, this has happened because God ordained it. Judas has left, and now we gotta take care of this. What Peter's trying to say is, we need to make sure we are in accordance with God's will. And God's will was that one of us would be taken from us, and now that one will step up and take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary, day, to choose from one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living amongst us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So this is the situation. We need to replace Judah. It is necessary. This is the, the, the divine necessity. Whenever you see day in the scripture, it means like God needs this to happen. We have to figure out a way to find someone to replace him. Otherwise, the 12, in a sense, has been a failure. And so we have to find someone, and there's some criteria. The first thing is that this person had to have been there with us from the beginning, since Jesus was baptized. He had to watch Jesus go into the water and come up out of the water and have the Holy Spirit descend upon him. Not only that, this person also has to witness the resurrection of Jesus. Someone who has been there from the beginning. And so they end up spending some time over this. They're recognizing um, that they, they, they need some candidates for this. I wonder what it would 
have been like? What, what would it be like to be a contestant on So You Want to Be an Apostle's Heir? Can you imagine that pressure? Like, oh, I might be one of the, the 12. There's 120 of us, and I might get to be one of the 12. I don't know about you, that'd be pretty glorious. I'd be like basking in apostolic glory, right? I am one of the 12. Imagine you'd been Jesus since he was dunked in the water. You saw him crucified. You cried as he died. But you saw him rise with your own two eyes. And then you saw him disappear into the skies. And now you get a chance to be part of that inner circle. You get to be a leader of a fledging group, which you have been promised is about to receive the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine if you got to be one of those 12. Would you feel like a winner? Well, let's meet our two contestants. So they nominated two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. Come on down. And Matthias. Then they prayed Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Guess where that is. So we have two nominees. We have Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and Matthias. I don't know about you, when I, when I read this list, and even the order they're in, the first one and the second one, I start to think, like, who's going to win? I'd pick the guy with three names. <laughs> There's Joseph. That's Jesus' dad name. That's awesome. Joseph means, may Jeho- Jehovah give increase. May Jehovah give increase. Ah, it's probably a good name when you're trying to get a next step-up promotion. Barsabbas, this means son of the Sabbath. The Jewish people like, he's a winner. He was born on the Sabbath. Justice, this is a Roman name, which means winner. It means good one, just one, fair one. We have someone who, to the Romans, is a winner, to the Greeks, and the, to the Jews, and just in general. And then you have Matthias. And his name means gift of God, which is a pretty good name. Not three names. And he also doesn't have this nickname. Justice is a nickname that has been placed on this man. It's not just something you get to call yourself. I had a friend who uh, decided he wanted to be called the Raptor and tried to get everyone to call him the Raptor. That, uh, mixed results. <laughs> you don't just get to say, hey, why don't you call me Justice? The name Justice is actually, there's three people in the New Testament named Justice. And all three of them are these key kind of people, supporting characters. Two of them are really close to Paul, and then we have Justice here, who's one of the top 13, 14, I guess. And you have, with this man, uh, being called Justice, basically what you're being called is like, everyone thinks of you as a good guy. Just. You're the just one. You're the good one. Imagine if you, there's a lot of Pauls here. I've noticed that. I'm trying to get my Pauls straight at this church. Imagine if you're like, known as, you have different Pauls, like, the good one. Paul the good one. That's, that'd probably be a, nice, right? 
Who's, who has bets on vet? Like, I don't. <laughs> but can you imagine if your name was the good one after it? You're probably thinking, like, I, I'm in good stance here. People around this team just call me the good one all the time. And so the dice are rolled. And they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to the 11 apostles. Epic fail justice. Could you imagine if you're him? Think about that. So close. So far away. He could feel the apostolic glory like slip through his fingers. Back to being one of the 120. <laughs> well, actually, he was part of the, the original 70, so I guess he's a little like up, but he's not one of the 12. What would it felt like to be justice? Did everyone start to think of him as a loser? Like, oh? How is, how is he feeling there? Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. See, just like now, they were living in a world of winning. And they love to laugh at epic fails. But we know that this can drive people to commit suicide, like Judas. It can definitely drive people into depression. And I have to say, living in the GTA, we are in a hotbed of a culture that thrives on and loves winning even compared to the rest of Ontario. How about Oakville, Burlington, Milton, downtown Toronto, Halton. We, we're, we're part of a culture that really pushes this winning to, to a next level, aren't we? If you think about it, you can see it just by the cars and the attitudes sometimes. And it's really easy as Christians to get caught up in this. Like, no one remembers also Rands. Unless it's to laugh at them, right? Dukakis, Gore, Carey, McCain, Romney. Losers. That's the way our culture thinks. It's like, go big or go home. You're either a winner or a loser, hoser. There's no prize for second place. But was Justice a loser? We gotta think about that first. Was Justice actually a loser? First, let's take a, take a look at the method that's used here to, to determine him being a loser. Was it like you weren't good enough? No, he lost the coin flip. This doesn't have anything to do with his character or who he was. This is to do with the Spirit of God had his plans. Lots were in scripture, basically, you took either rocks or sticks and you marked them. And you put them in a jar, toss them around, and then the one that came out, if you had your mark on it, you win. In scripture, there's times where lots are seen as a way of God making his decision, which is kind of weird because we always think it's too close to gambling, right? Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from 
the Lord. God controls the lot. I mean, God controls lot. And God certainly controls your lot in life. And that means we need to question whether or not justice is actually a loser or not. See, they're both very worthy in human eyes. But God has ultimate control. Justice, is he a loser in God's eyes? No. Justice just had a different role to play. God had a different plan for justice's life. God loved justice, trusted justice, wanted to use justice. Justice's job, if you're going to say, is he a winner or a loser, what was justice's job? Justice's job was to do the will of God. Justice's job as a follower of Jesus was to be aligned with Jesus, to make sure his heart was aligned with the Spirit of God. That's what he was there to do. And I have to say, I, I think he was a winner. And we need to redefine our understanding of what winning is as Christians. Winning isn't how high I get promoted, how much money I have, how many cars I have, how much, how much people like me, where I am in the hierarchy. Winning is, am I aligned with Christ? Am I aligned with God's will? And it's interesting, sometimes it's random. Who gets picked for what? Why they're there? Doesn't make any sense, Lord. No, it's just it's a, it's a coin toss. Now, I'm sure God had his reasons. It says that he knows the hearts of the people. He knew why he wanted Matthias there. But it didn't make justice a loser in the eyes of God, but maybe in the eyes of the world. Jesus was a loser in the eyes of the world. Jesus had a, took a big L, according to the authorities. But not to God, again. So God asked us to do a couple of things. He asked us to seek him, to seek his scriptures, to seek him in prayer, to do our best and make wise decisions as we can. And then you are a winner if you align yourself with God along that. So how do you make sure that your decisions are aligned with God's? I think there's a very interesting passage here, kind of how do you become a winner in the eyes of God? The first thing is, you notice Peter seeks wisdom through the scriptures. He's reading the scriptures. The scriptures say, oh, I got to be in line with the scriptures. And the scriptures is telling us we need to make sure that someone takes this person's position. So that's the first thing. We need to do this. And then they pray. They seek the Lord. And I have a feeling that the Lord kind of said to them, brought two people's faces to their mind. The Holy Spirit kind of put on their heart, Matthias and Justice. These are both good choices. And they're in this place where and they're trying to seek wisdom and they're talking to each other and trying to, which one is it? Who's the, who's the best character? And, and they realize like, you know what? Either one seems to be good. I guess we'll have to give it up to God. Let flip a coin. What a weird way to make a decision to be aligned with the, the ways of God. Is that kind of weird to you? Have you ever flipped a coin to make a decision in life? You don't have to put up your hand. <laughs> I, I have sometimes, right? You're like, oh, is this one or this one? 
And, and a lot of times people um, almost tear themselves up. They think, I'm going to be a loser if I make the wrong decision. I better. Like, Lord, and, and they, their heart. I want to say, you do need to seek the Lord and seek the Holy Spirit because the Spirit can tell you and you got to make sure you're in line. But sometimes the Lord is like, either one. These two are good. That one, not so much. Flip a coin. So when you're talking about being in line with the Lord, there's some things we need to do. We need to, be, we need to be wise. We need to be in line with scriptures. We need to be in line with prayer. We need to be in line with the Christian community. But then sometimes God, in his random wisdom, the Holy Spirit decides one thing over the other for reasons that we don't even know, which I think is pretty amazing. So to be a winner to God doesn't mean you're the best at everything. It doesn't mean the most prominent position in your field. You kind of hear some of these theologies like, if you love and serve God, you're going to be the top of your field. And it's like, justice didn't get to be the top of his field. He was second tier in a certain sense, but he was exactly where God wanted him. So he was a winner. Two Christians are playing against each other for the Stanley Cup. And they're praying to God. They're just, oh, Lord, like, please give me this win. This is for you. And, and how does it work out? Guess what? One of them loses. But that doesn't mean they're a loser to God. It was like, oh, if I just prayed a little harder, if I sinned just a little bit less, God would have gave Montreal the cup. It's not going to give it to Toronto, probably. <laughs> I just... <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? When we start to think about this, it's not a spiritual competition. God does what he does for his reasons. Sometimes the, the world tries to combat this, right? This idea of winning, which is a problem. People realize, like, this is a bad thing. Everyone's like, trying to win and succeed and claw over each other. This is bad. So let's defeat this. We're going to defeat this by having no winners and no losers. So we don't keep score in our sports. Boring. Right? We just pretend there's, or can't have any leaders. No one can be a leader. It kind of reminds me of this meme about what we were talking about at the beginning. There's this meme with uh, Oprah. You're Miss Universe, and you're Miss Universe, and you're Miss Universe. Everyone's Miss Universe. <laughs> like, that's not what the Holy Spirit was saying to the people at the church. They weren't like, you're an apostle, and you're an apostle. You're all apostles. You're all part of the 12. It's like, then that's not 12. Like, that, by definition, is illogical. Can't have 120, 12. That's 144, but yeah. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So this idea is like, we don't, we don't fix this by going like, well, everything equals out, and everyone's just like, no, we're all different. We have different roles to play. And we'll talk about this in the fall when we start getting the body of Christ. There's different roles in the body of Christ. We have different gifts in different places. It doesn't mean one's a winner and one's a loser. But that's how the world likes to, to play these things out. So this doesn't solve the problem. Just to pretend there's, everyone's exactly the same. Just that you win by playing the role you're supposed to play. So you might not get to be the top dog. You're not promised fame or fortune or success and all these things. And even if you get the promotion, it doesn't mean that you're going to end up way ahead of everyone else for the rest of your life because you follow Jesus. You'll be ahead of where you would have been. That's something I do believe, that you are way better off following Christ. Let's take a look at our two contestants. What happens with our two contestants? 
First of all, Justice, one of the 70, he gets numbered as one of the, the martyrs of Christ. As far as the tradition goes, we, we see that he probably ended up in a, a town called Eleutherlopolis. I can't even say the name. Probably ended up there as a leader of a little small community of Christians. And guess what? He gets killed by rocks. Winning. We have Matthias. There's a couple of different traditions. Some people say he went up to near Georgia, you know, near Russia with all the, there was that problem. Some people say he went up there, killed by rocks. Other people say that he was killed in Jerusalem by rocks and then had his head cut off. Who wins? The definition of winning to Jesus is a little different than to the world. In fact, I find it really interesting that neither of these people, winner Matthias, loser Justice, neither of them are ever mentioned ever again in the Bible. Both of them have the exact same 15 minutes of fame. Isn't that interesting? I think the Lord is trying to help us understand something here. Both of them end up where God wants them and uses them the way that he wants to use them. You could say that's epic fail. They never, they never lit it up like Paul and Peter. No, they were exactly where they were supposed to be in their place in the Spirit's movement throughout history. I think about that, like where was the rest of the, rest of the 120? We don't know their names. Maybe Barnabas and a couple other people might pop up here and there, but if you really think about those 120 people in that room, we might know 14, 15 names. The rest of them were aligned with God's spirit. And guess what? None of what was going to happen with the church would have happened without all of them. The spirit needed them all there and used them all. And they're all winners in that. Winning isn't about fame. It's about playing your role. And guess what? We don't all get to be lead players. I'm a, I get to be a pastor and I'm really thankful for that. I love it but I'm not Tim Keller or Rick Warren. I'm also not Jimmy Swaggart, so <laughs> that works out. We need to change your perception of what winning is. Our culture has a concept of winning, which I think is best seen through the eyes of, of Charlie Sheen. Do you remember that when he, winning, he had his interview and he, Talk about winning. And, and for him, what winning was, was he was famous. He was, the, he, had, he was the lead actor on the most popular television show in the world. He had lots of money, lots of fame, lots of women, lots of drugs. Right? For him, he was like, and he talked about this, how he's winning. But if you really think about that picture, that face of winning, it would look a little more like this. <laughs> that was that interview where he talked about winning, Right? You know, it's actually a little bit messed up. What was probably happening there, and probably with all of us who, who try to chase after God, I mean, chase after the world and forget about God, when we're, when we're chasing after these things or, or trying to build ourselves up, what, what's happening is we're trying to cover up some, some hurt, some feelings of inadequacy, some feelings like we feel like losers. So we're trying to be winning to make ourselves feel better, and we cover this up with all this stuff. It'll never work. The problem is that we have an addiction to winning. My only addiction now is winning. Oh, 
dude, that's the source of all the other addictions. Needing to feel like you are someone by what you do, what you have, rather than who you are to God. And you know what? Christians get addicted to this winning as well, don't we? It's easy to get sucked into this world, even within the church, chasing after these things, trying to feel better about ourselves, getting out of alignment with Christ, chasing up what the world wants. I think part of this is that we need to just recognize and, and admit to our losing, the places that we lose, the places where we're not the best. I had a, a pastor friend post on Facebook uh, a little while ago, which I, I really liked. I forgot my two-year-old daughter at daycare today. Parenting fail. Anyone else do something like this? Please share. Maybe it will make me feel better. Instead of putting it on our faces about how awesome we are, there's something about just recognizing in front of God, our honesty, like, yeah, like, ah, oh, we, if we're honest, it's probably that we're losing together, right? We're all, we're all losers in some ways, in the world's eyes, in that sense. We've all done things. We've all messed up. And I know what it feels like to lose. I can remember just like going back in my mind, I was trying to think of like, I remember when I lost the grade eight academic award. I was like, and it still irks me a little bit. That music teacher gave it to her pet in class, and that person never did anything in high school. And then I remember losing a high school academic award to my best friend by one percentage point. Ah. I remember losing the computer programming contest of Ontario. I came second. No one remembers second. It's all my friend's fault because he, I did the program and he did the documentation and he messed it up. Like, we write these stories for ourselves because we, we can't realize, like, you know, I'm just going to go back. I don't want to talk about my recent losses because it's a little too close to home. Definitely some husband fails parent fails, pastor fails, forgetting names or something, or, you know, like, things that I don't even want to talk about too much. It's like, ah, yeah. We, we fail at our jobs. We fail in trying to follow Jesus. But the point is, we keep getting back up and recognizing that in Christ, when we rely, align ourselves with him, that's winning, right? It doesn't matter if we're a CEO of a company and we, gotta be, we don't want to beat up on the CEOs of the companies. We don't want to beat up on Peter the Apostle. God calls them for a reason. And, and if they're aligned with Christ and their hearts is right and they're doing what Christ wants them to, that is a win in God's eyes. Just like it's a win in God's eyes if we're working at a restaurant as a waitress or a waiter. As long as we are aligned with Christ, whether you're on the leadership team, you're serving with your your gift quietly in the church. That is how winning should be evaluated through God. And when you think about winning, I think one of the things about decision-making for Christ, I said it earlier, I think sometimes we're afraid to fail. And so it's hard for us to make decisions. And I've had people say like, oh no, like I'm praying, does God want me to have the blue car or the red car? Ah. Like, I don't think God cares. Flip a coin. Now he might, so you gotta ask him because he might be like, no, you need to take the red car as the sign of Christ's blood. Or, or the blue car because it's the sign of the waters of baptism. You know what I mean? Like I, he, I'm not, God might do these things. So we need to ask him. But sometimes he's like, it's like grandpa when, you, when you're taking the kids to the store and you're like, hey, have an ice cream. Am I allowed this one, grandpa? Am I allowed this one, grandpa? 
I don't care. Ice cream. Have ice cream. <laughs> but ask. So sometimes we get paralyzed because we're so afraid of losing that we don't end up making decisions in light of who God wants us to be. When I hear this story and I think about all of this and I think about justice and how God used them later and how either choice was good, I just think, isn't it nice that this is not up to your devices? That you can leave winning to Christ. Whether you're at the top of your company, you're in a small cubicle, whether you're a member of parliament or you're a simple civil servant, you are not an epic fail. Just like justice, you are a winner only because Christ is the winner. You are a victor and overcomer, even if the world only sees you as a runner-up. When Jesus stood at the, the Last Supper, he stood facing what would look like an epic fail. He had claimed to be Messiah, King of Israel, and now he was going to die. Not just die, he was going to die on a cross. When in the scriptures it says anyone who dies on a tree is cursed. This is why in Islam they don't believe that Jesus died on a cross. They think he was placed with Judas because they couldn't have that kind of fail of a prophet of God. But guess what? Jesus knew that he was about to do something that would look like a fail to the world. And so he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood and it's being poured out. It looks like it's a loss, but my loss is your gain because your sins are forgiven. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim that what the world would call a failure was God's grandest win. As you come to the table today, keep that in mind, that the loss of Christ's life is now the source of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that it's not up to us to win. That we don't need to live up to the world's standards. That we need to just align ourselves with your son, Jesus Christ, and what you bring to us and how we use our gifts. All that is left, Lord God, into your hands. And, and yes, we need to act wisely and to live out our gifts. But it's up to you to bring the fruit. And so we ask, Lord God, as we come to the table today, that we remember that we are forgiven, that we don't have to win in the eyes of the world, that our greatest win is to align ourselves with the death of Christ and his forgiveness and his resurrection and recognize that glory awaits us and that is the glory of Jesus when we meet him face to face. Amen.